with me in honor of God as we read his word together, beginning in verse 22 of Acts 15. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. James has has just finished his recommendation to the church, and verse 22 continues the story. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Verse 30, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. You may be seated. May God encourage and strengthen us through his word this morning. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to be together this morning. We recognize that our, our presence here is, is a sign of your kindness and grace toward us. We rejoice in being able to worship you, and, and we pray that as we look at your word together, you would open our hearts, open our minds, help us to understand these truths, and, and most importantly, help us to love you more as a result, to, to be drawn close to you. We pray for those who have, have suffered loss this, this past week. Uh, we think of uh, just the, the pain that, that some in our church are, are going through. We ask for your special kindness on them. Strengthen them, sustain them um, with, with the love that you have for them that surpasses even our own love for them. We pray for those who are in uh, positions of, of leadership. As Britt prayed, we, we, we pray that you would uh, continue to strengthen our, our leaders, that you would help them to uh, love you, uh, to rejoice that, that we are uh, in submission to them, and, and that they would uh, see in us those who who love them and desire the best for them. Lord, help them to walk in obedience to you. And, and when, they, uh, when they stray from what you would desire a, a person authority to do, we pray that you would uh, allow us to be voices that, that exhort and encourage them to, to right behavior and help us to do so in a loving way, and, but in a, 
a strong way. It's trusting in you. We pray for our hearts that are, that are tempted toward legalism. As, as we, if you think about this text here, we, we pray that you would reveal within our hearts uh, the, the desire, the, the pull toward legalism and, and help us to turn away from legalism and, and turn to faith and trust in your son Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, in his book, The Prodigal God, Tim Keller does a great job of kind of laying out the story that we call the, the parable of the prodigal son. And, and you remember the story of the prodigal son. The, there's a father who has two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son tells his father, look, I, I want my inheritance now. In other words, I, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me your, your money now, the things that I would have obtained whenever you died. And so the, the father gives this younger brother his inheritance. And what does the younger son do? The younger son leaves the father and goes and lives this, this lawless life. And, and Tim Keller, as he talks about this parable, his, he does a masterful job of, of saying, look, there are actually in this parable two sons who are separated from the father. And there are two ways that we can be separated from our heavenly father that are represented in this story. One way is through lawlessness, and the younger son represents lawlessness. He leaves the presence of the father physically, and he, he goes away from the father, and he lives this sinful lifestyle, a lifestyle of, of debauchery and immorality and just just hedonism. He is separated from the Father. He no longer wants to be underneath the roof of the Father. He has no desire for relationship with the Father. He represents being separated from our Heavenly Father through lawlessness. But there's another brother in the story, and this other brother is also separated from the Father relationally. He physically stays with the Father, but he represents separation from our Heavenly Father through legalism. He's with the Father, but he also desires a separation from the Father. He's resentful to the Father. He also is separated relationally from the Father. And Tim Keller does, does a great job of showing us that, that sadly at the end of the story of the prodigal son, there is still a son who is separated from the Father relationally. Here's what, here's what Tim Keller writes. He says, the hearts of the two brothers were the same. Both sons resented their father's authority and sought ways of getting out from under it. Both were alienated from the father's heart. Both were lost sons. Do you realize then, Keller writes, what Jesus is teaching? Neither son loved the father for himself. Legalism represented by that older brother, is not just trying to earn God's favor by our works. Legalism is also about being separated from the Father because of our works, by our works. In other words, the heart of the legalist doesn't believe the things we've sung this morning about God and his mercy and his love for us. The legalist doesn't really believe those things, and the legalist shows that they don't believe those things by, by their works. They don't believe in God's goodness and his grace and his kindness, and because they don't believe those things, they work. They work. 
That's the heart that motivates the work of the legalist. This is behind the situation in Acts 15, and, and I, I told Whitney this morning, I said, you know, I'm, I'm always nervous to, to, to talk publicly. It, I get nervous on Sunday mornings, but honestly, I'm very, I'm excited in a unique way this morning about this passage. This may be some of the most important truths from God's Word some of you have, have heard to this point in your Christian life because legalism permeates the evangelical landscape. See, here in Acts 15, think about what's happened. There's been a threat to the church. So there's, the church is in Antioch. Some people from Jerusalem come to Antioch, and they're, they're proclaiming legalism. There's this threat to the church, and there's this council then in Jerusalem that says, okay, how do we respond to this threat of legalism? And if you and I were writing this letter that is, is condemning legalism, what might we say? Sometimes we think of legalism as like the opposite end of the spectrum from lawlessness. So you have lawlessness over here and legalism over here. And, and elsewhere, Tim Keller writes this. He says, you know, sometimes we think the answer of lawlessness is legalism. You know, you're over here on the spectrum. Let's go over here. So you encounter someone who's just living this lawless life. You say, you know what you need? You need a little more law in your life, right? You need to get you need a little more law and legalism in your life. And we encounter a person who's legalistic and we say, you know what? You need to lighten up a little bit. Stop taking God's commandments so seriously. Enjoy a little bit of lawlessness. That's, that's how we think in our flesh. And so if we were writing the letter from the church in Jerusalem to the believers in Antioch, they're struggling with legalism, what might we be tempted to say? Hey, lighten up. Enjoy a little bit of lawlessness in your life, okay? You don't have to get circumcised. Just live it up. But that's not the answer, Beloved. The answer to lawlessness is not legalism. The answer to legalism is not lawlessness. They both come from the same root heart issue, a heart that doesn't trust and believe the character of God. And so the, the answer for the legalists and the answer for the lawless person is the same. Come to Christ. Believe that he's good. Believe in his mercy. Believe in his kindness toward you. And come to him in faith. Here's the thing that I want us to, to grasp this morning as we look at this text and we think about legalism. Here's, here's the main idea. The weight of your legalism will not be lifted by embracing lawlessness, but only by embracing Jesus Christ in faith. The weight of your legalism is not going to be lifted by embracing lawlessness, but it's only going to be lifted by embracing Jesus Christ in faith. Some of us this morning, we are struggling with lawlessness. Maybe we're struggling with the consequences of lawlessness. We have been engaged in, in sinful behavior, and we are, this morning, we are suffering because of that. You're, you're here this morning with a heavy heart as you think about your sin, and you say, boy, I, I, what do I need? And the answer is, you need Christ. You need to, to see his beauty this morning, his preciousness, his kindness, his mercy, his love for you, and come to him in, in repentance and faith. Some of you this morning are struggling with the weight of legalism. You have been trying to, to walk in obedience, and you, you've, you've seen the things that God has required you to do, and, and, and you, as you think about what God has required you to do, there's, you're discouraged by your failure. 
you're weary this morning of, of trying to keep everything together. You are just, you've, you've been walking in obedience, you've been doing what you think you're supposed to do, and you're discouraged this morning because God doesn't seem to be paying attention to the good things you're doing and rewarding you the way you feel like you should be rewarded for, for walking in your obedience. And you're heavy this morning, you're discouraged this morning, you're struggling with the weight of legalism, and the answer to you is the same answer that the, the answer the person who's struggling with lawlessness, you need to come to Jesus this morning to embrace him by faith. The weight of legalism, discouragement of God's lack of recognition, discouragement by your failure, weary of trying to, to keep all the God's commands, the answer is not to embrace lawlessness, but only to embrace Jesus Christ in faith. And this morning, we're going to, first of all, look at removing the weight of legalism within a church, and then we're going to talk about rejoicing in the light of the gospel. And let's begin by talking about removing the weight of legalism and, and look at this letter that the apostles and elders and the whole church write to the believers in Antioch. And as we talk about removing the weight of legalism, I want us to, to look at some things that help us as we confront the heart of legalism, which is my heart, which is most of our hearts, where a lot of us are going to struggle. The church now needs to address the harm that's been caused by this legalistic teaching, the damage that's been done, to try to repair some of that, and they're going to do some things that we would do well to consider. And here, here's five things that I want us to, to think about together. This isn't a list of things to you know, do these five things, but these are five things that are going to help us turn our hearts to Christ. Here's number one. Number one, you confront the legalism within the church and our hearts. You confront it. You, you deal with it. You, def you define it and respond to it. Last week, I, I talked about the, the benefit of, of keeping our mouths shut, you know, a theology of silence, and that, that's right, that's good. There's times for us to, to firmly shut our lips and listen and, and make sure we understand issues, but there's also a time to speak, and here is such a time. If our words are going to bring, bring life, we, we speak. We need to deal with it, and here in verse 22, what does it say? It says that after they've heard what James has, has said and what Paul and Barnabas have said and the words of Peter, it seems good with the, for the apostles and elders and along with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they send Judas and they send Silas, people of respect. So in other words, they, they recognize their need to, to deal with this, to, to confront the legalism that their brothers in Antioch and sisters in Antioch are are suffering under. Now, let's take a moment here, and, and let's define legalism. What exactly do we mean when we say legalism? It's, it's a word that's thrown around a lot. You know, you talk about any sort of holiness. Well, that's legalistic. Well, let's, let's understand what legalism is. As we understand what legalism is, we, we recognize that legalism isn't just some external behavior we do. In other words, I'm I, I do these things, that's legalism, I can just stop and I'll stop being a legalist. Now, in reality, legalism is a heart condition. It, it permeates who we are. The need that we have on the part of God's people is to, to call ourselves to repent of legalism. It's a heart issue and it's pervasive. It rears its ugly head when we least suspect it. There's a great book by Sinclair Ferguson called the whole Christ, and, and he writes this. He says, first of all, wh what is legalism? You know, how do we define it? Then he says, the generic answer of evangelical Christians would probably 
probably be something like this. Legalism is trying to earn your salvation by doing good works. That's legalism. And, and, and that's, that's a start. That's certainly a part of legalism. But, but Ferguson does a great job. He, he observes that legalism goes far deeper than that. The, the root of legalism goes back to the, to the same heart issue that happens at the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. What happens in the Garden of Eden? God's created this, this perfect place for Adam and Eve to live and to work and to serve and to, to love him. And, and then he gives them the command. Now, what is the command that God gives Adam and Eve? And how you answer that question may reveal your, your own understanding of, or own lack of understanding of, of God and his character. Sometimes we think, well, the first command that God gives Adam and Eve is, is don't do something, right? Well, actually, the command that he gives them is, look, here's, here's the garden, eat of any tree that you desire. And then the second part of the command is accept this, this one tree. The second command, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is, is second after this command to enjoy the garden, to eat of every tree of the garden. The serpent clouds the thinking of the woman. She begins to see the commands of God as burdensome because she begins to doubt his character. Here's what Ferguson writes. He imagines God saying this to Adam and Eve. God says, I am giving you everything in the garden. Go and enjoy. I've given you all of this because I love you. I, I want you to grow and develop in your understanding and your love for me. So this is the plan. There's a tree here. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat its fruit. They're asking why. I want you to grow in, in trusting and loving me just for myself because I am who I am. And you can only really do that if you're willing to obey me because you want to show me that you trust and love me. Now that's why I put that, that tree there. I, I so want you to be blessed that I'm commanding you to eat and enjoy the fruit of all of these trees. That's a command. Do it. Enjoy. But I have another command. Don't eat of this tree. I'm not asking you to do that because the tree's ugly. Actually, it's very attractive. I don't make ugly ever. But it's, it's simple. Trust me. Obey me. And love me because of who I am and because you are enjoying what I have given to you. Trust me, obey me, and you will grow. But what happens? Eve doubts the character of God. And so she suspects his motives in giving her that command. And so she disobeys. What I want you to see is that's the same heart attitude of, of the legalist. The legalist sees a command but, but doubts the character of God, the one who has given this command. And, and so the, the command is seen as a, a burden or, or legalistic, and it, it's seen as coming from someone who doesn't have their best interests in heart. And so here's the reality. You and I could today be transferred to the Garden of Eden in our current condition, and we could, could see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God could tell us not to eat, and we could obey that in terms of not actually eating the fruit and still be in sin because we doubted the goodness of God in giving us that command. 
In other words, I could, I could walk and not do the technical thing that God told me not to do, but my heart motive would be saying, I don't trust the God who's told me this. I don't think that he really loves me. I don't believe the things we've sung this morning about his grace and his kindness and his, his salvation. And so I'm going to do this, but it's not going to be a path of joy. Here's what Ferguson says is a, a better definition of legalism or a, a fuller definition of legalism. Listen to this. It's not just about trying to earn salvation through works. Legalism is a peculiar kind of submission to God's law, something that no longer feels the personal divine touch in the rule it submits to. Let me read that again. Legalism is a peculiar kind of submission to God's law. It's it's a submission that no longer feels the personal divine touch in the rule it submits to. So there's a, there's a technical obedience, but it has a distorted view of the character and the person of God. It doesn't believe what we read in Psalm 1611. What does Psalm 1611 say? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so the, the person who's a legalist may do the things that God has called them to do, but they don't believe the character of the one who's called them to do it, and they don't believe that in those things they're going to find the fullness of joy. And this hard attitude, it permeates us, right? It's, it's hard to root out. It'd be one thing if it was just intellectual. Again, Ferguson imagines a pastor sitting down with a person, and the person says, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with legalism. And the pastor says, oh, hey, no problem. I can, str- I can solve your problem with legalism uh, very easily. Uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Do you believe that? And the legalist says, well, yeah, you're cured, right? But it's, it's not that simple. I, I can affirm that I believe that the, the salvation is all by God's work, but the heart of the legalist can still, I, it can still be a struggle for me, right? The, the fruit of legalism can still be, be seen in, in, in my heart. I know the gospel, but I still see the fruit of legalism. I, I doubt God's goodness as I walk in obedience to him sometimes. You know, I'm, I, I'm giving like I'm supposed to be giving, but it's, it's with a begrudging heart. I'm, I'm walking in, 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 in uh, obedience to him in terms of sexuality, and, and yet it's, it's a sense of, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on the, the things that, that God, that I'm missing out on the things that I'd really desire to do, and, and there's probably more happiness out there doing these other things instead of walking in this, 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 on this road of faithfulness to the Lord. But, and so there's, there's resentment. I'm, I'm, I feel a bondage as I obey his rules. And I feel the weight of failure. I don't believe in the goodness of God in terms of his forgiveness that he offers. I feel this, this weight of failure as I think about how I've walked in disobedience. I'm discouraged. And, si- and ironically, kind of in a weird way, even as I am sometimes discouraged by my sin, the, the fruit of legalism shows itself as I feel a sense of superiority toward other people. Yeah, I, I fail, but at least I don't fail like that person who does the, those things. There's pride. There's a coldness as I think about my relationship with the Lord. I'm, I'm cold as I think about him because I, I don't really believe that he truly loves me. I believe that he's contractually obligated because of John 3.16. But in my heart of heart, I think, you know, God probably wishes he hadn't put that in there. Right? That's the heart of the legalist. 
I think about God and I think of him as very cold and distant. Maybe someday he'll like me in, in heaven, but right now, probably not. How do we help? We, we confront that attitude. We, we look at that heart attitude in the church and ourselves, and we continually confront it. Number two, what do we do? We affirm the gospel. We affirm the gospel. There's a beautiful thing, and if you read too quickly, maybe you miss it. Beautiful thing here in verse 23. The letter begins this way. The brothers... Then it defines who the brothers are who are writing the letter, both the apostles and the elders. And then what does it say next? To the, to the brothers. What kind of brothers? The brothers who are of the Gentiles. If you read that too quick, you may miss the beauty of that. What's the beauty? The, the beauty is that the, the issue's been resolved. Barnabas, Paul, Peter's position has been thoroughly vindicated. The Gentiles are in. From the brothers to the brothers. There is nothing else you need to do in order for us to be brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're in. The issue is, is settled. What Paul had written just very briefly to the Galatians in Galatians uh, chapter 3 verse 28 is true. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're a Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And when we confront those who are struggling with legalism, what do we need to do? We need to continually to point them to simple gospel truths. Look, let me tell you about God's character. Let me tell you about God's grace. Let me tell you about God's sacrificial provision of a sacrifice in his son, Jesus Christ. You are coming to someone not on the basis of a contract, but you're coming to a person who desires to be in relationship with you. We, as we encounter legalism in the church and within our own hearts, continually need to affirm the gospel. God loves you. You are a sinner who's been separated from him, from him but because of your sin, but God has done everything necessary to reconcile you to himself through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Believe that. Come to him in faith. There is nothing else that is required of you to be found right before God but the work of Jesus Christ already completed on your behalf. Affirm that, affirm that, affirm that. I may have mentioned the book Gentle and Lowly before. <laughs> Passed out a couple hundred copies of it. Uh, but, but this is why I think the book resonates so deeply with me as a recovering legalist. The book continually calls us to confront our, our wrong thoughts about who God is, and to, to think about him biblically. And, and there's a chapter that deals specifically with our, our legalistic tendencies, and it talks about how we go through the day, and, and oftentimes as we go through the day, we, we should be having trust that God loves us and nothing can, can touch us in him, but, but we fail to do that. But here's what Ortland writes in, in the book. He says, what does the gospel say? It puts the following words in each of our mouths. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. 
Ortland continues, his heart for me could not sit still in heaven. Our sins darken our feelings of his gracious heart, but his heart cannot be diminished for his own people due to their sins any more than the sun's existence can be threatened due to the passing of a few wispy clouds or even an extended thunderstorm. The sun is shining. It cannot stop. Clouds, no clouds. Sin, no sin. The tender heart of the Son of God is shining on me. This is an unflappable affection. And the sweep of New Testament teaching is it is the Son of Christ's heart, not the clouds of my sin, that now define me. Affirm the gospel. Number three, acknowledge the misery legalism brings. This is another beautiful verse here in verse 24. It's a beautiful description, a sad description, yet beautiful in the sense of its, its truthfulness of what legalism does. Look what they write in verse 24. We have heard that some persons have gone out from us. And so first of all, this is kind of important, I think, that the church acknowledges, look, there are, there are some who are from our assembly who have, who have come from us. There's a, there's a recognition that this, this teaching has been distorted. And there's not a, sometimes as we in the church encounter legalism or encountering legalism within, within our own body, sometimes we want to distance ourselves from it and say, okay, uh, we have no, no part of that. And there's a sense where that's right to do, but there's also a sense to acknowledge, look, Something perhaps in our, our structure, in our attitudes have, have cultivated this. We want to be careful to, to acknowledge this, this reality that's existed within our church, within our hearts. And so they say they've, they've come out from us. We didn't authorize this, but another, another, nevertheless, they came from us. And then look at how they describe legalism or what the fruit of it. It says they've, they've gone out from us, verse 24, and troubled you with words unsettling your minds. That word that's translated minds there is the same word we get the word soul from. We talked about this in chapter 14, that this word is used interchangeably, soul, mind, life. It says, we recognize that some people have come to you, and they've, they've used their words, they've used, used teaching, and, and this teaching that they've, they've communicated that says you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, it's, it's harmed you. Your soul has been troubled, disturbed, harmed. The soul of every one of God's saints is a precious thing to him. Remember what Jesus says? We see read in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to what? To give his life, that's the same word there, his soul, his self, for the, the, as, a, as a ransom for many. You see here the value at which he places our souls. He's willing to, to come and, and pay the penalty for our sin with his, his own life. And so the, to, it's wise for a church that thinks about confronting legalism to say, okay, this, this is a this is a thing that has harmed the souls of, of those whom we love. And, and why does legalism harm the soul? Why, why is legalism so hard? Why, why does it trouble the souls of the people in Antioch? Why does it trouble the souls of so many of us even here at Bethany Community Church? Why? Because it takes us further and further away from Jesus Christ and deeper and deeper into ourselves. 
as I continue to feel the weight of my lack of work, as I continue to, to feel this, this, this burden of God's commands, I, I'm being drawn further and further away from Jesus, either into lawlessness or legalism. I'm being further and further away from Jesus, and I think about commands and burdensome commands. I get further and further away from the true character of God, and I focus more and more on myself and my, my failure, the weight of my failure, or my pride in keeping the rules that I am keeping, what does it do? It continues to take me further and further away from Jesus. And the place that is further and further away from Jesus is always a place of pain and troubling to our souls. As we encounter burdened people who are struggling with, with legalism, we call them to Christ the answer to legalism isn't more legalism. It's, it's important to acknowledge who, you know, why the heart is troubled here. You, you've doubted God's goodness and his kindness. Here's the fourth thing I want to encourage us to do. Point people, point burden people to your love for them and for the Lord. I want you to notice uh, here, point burden people to your love for them and the Lord. Look at verses 25 through 27 and what else they say in this letter. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them with Barnabas and Paul. And first of all, they tell us this about Barnabas and Paul. Verse 26, men who have risked their lives, the word souls there again, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. They, they've, they've loved you so much, that, and they've loved the Lord so much, they've been willing to, to risk their very selves, their, their physical bodies, and this, this life that God has given them for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've also sent them who are beloved. They're loved by us and by you. And we've sent with them Judas and Silas, people who have, we saw earlier, men of renown, respect. And they are going to tell you the same things by the word of mouth. We'll just talk about this very quickly here. As we see people who are struggling with legalism, what often happens? I see this often as, as people come from maybe some legalistic backgrounds. You've grown up in a church environment or some sort of legalistic environment, and you're told that our environment and these rules are the only thing keeping you from this, this life of sin. And yeah, the, these things seem kind of strict sometimes, and they're hard to do, and it's, it's very burdensome, but, but if you don't do these things, you're going to be like those crazy people over there living this Rock and roll lifestyle, right? You don't want that. And so do these things and, and, and you'll be safe. And I think that was the same kind of heart attitude as the people who are coming from Jerusalem to Antioch. Look, we're from, we're from the, the, the Jews. We've had this thing for hundreds of years now, couple, couple million, almost a million and a half. We're, we, we know what we're talking about. And if you want to live rightly before God and not like these crazy Gentiles out here, listen to us. And so what it's important for the church to do, it's important for the church to have people within its midst who are passionate about holiness and are passionate about following the Lord Jesus Christ who can come to those who are struggling with legalism and say, no, 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 the answer to legalism is not lawlessness. You don't leave legalism and start embracing this, this crazy rock and roll lifestyle. No, in, instead, you abandon legalism and you come to Jesus. And here's Barnabas, and, and here's Saul, and, and here's Silas, and here are men 
who have risked their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, and here's Judas, and, and they are beloved by us. They, they love you, they love the Lord, and they desire what's best for you. As you encounter legalism within your heart, within the church, it's so important to have people who are committed to, to loving you and have proved themselves faithful in their love for the Lord. Talking with a person who, who loves the Lord and loves you can be helpful in, in helping point you to Christ away from a legalistic environment. Here's the, the fifth thing we see here. What, what, what's, what's the last thing to do here as we think about removing the weight of legalism and pointing people to Jesus? We place saints under the, the law of love. We place the saints under the law of love. We skipped over last week discussing some of the counsel in more detail. It, it's repeated here, and, and it, it's very important as, as we read these next few verses for us to understand what's taking place. This is not, what, what James is about, what they're writing here, is not about saying, okay, um, at least keep some of the Mosaic law to be on the safe side. That, that's not what's taking place. We're not saying let's compromise and just obey part of the Mosaic law. That, that issue has been settled. The Gentiles are in. Full stop. Gentiles are in. They are part of the new covenant through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the conversation any longer. But they say this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit, this is verse 28, and to us to lay on you no greater burdens than these requirements. That you abstain, four things here, you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, two, from blood, three, from what's been strangled, four, from sexual immorality. Keep yourselves from these, you'll do well, farewell. So, two questions. One, why? Why was it good to the Holy Spirit and to the apostles and the assembly here to place any requirements on believers? I mean, why, why ask them to do anything? Isn't that legalism again? Is, we said, you don't have to do anything to be in, but do these things. Is that just legalism kind of repackaged? No. No, it's not. Remember, what's legalism? Legalism is, is separating God's commandments from, from his character. This is so important, beloved. Very often, any time we talk about any sort of obedience to God, any sort of pursuit of holiness, there, there are going to be people, people who respond, well, well that's just that's legalism. I'm talking about doing something, that, that's legalism. I'm not a legalist. That, that's not what legalism is. God, God has called us to obedience. If, if you have no desire to walk in obedience to God, John tells us in 1 John, you need to doubt whether or not you're even actually a believer, whether you've come to, to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're not saved by our works, but as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we respond by a desire to be obedient. So is, why, why place any requirements on believers? It's because believers are still under a law, not the law, but they're still under a law. It's a law that Scripture calls the, the law of Christ or the law of love. The obligation upon us now as believers is to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, not through our own efforts, but through the Spirit working within us. We walk in obedience to Him, and as we walk in obedience to Him, 
we love him and we love others. Now, this law of the new covenant, the people they're writing to are in. He's not saying do these four things to get into the new covenant. He says, you're in. We're, we're brothers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You're in. Now, now that we're all in, here's what we're encouraging you to do. So the requirement we're placing upon you. The second thing, question we might ask here is, okay, well, well why these things? Why these four things? It, it, it seems like the first three things here are related to the desire to preserve unity in the church, and the fourth thing is, is related to a desire to walk in holiness. So as he talks about this specific group of believers and their need to experience the joy of walking in obedience to God, he's going to say, look, these are, the, these are the four things that we're encouraging you to do. Do these three things, these first three things, they're going to allow you and the Jews there in Antioch to eat together. If you don't do these things, if you don't avoid meat that's been sacrificed to idols, if you don't uh, avoid eating things that still have the blood, so avoid blood and avoid things that have been strangled that don't have the, the blood removed, if, if you don't do those things, you and the other Jews in the church, you're not going to be able to fellowship together. And for the genuine believer, you're going to have a desire to, to walk in, in unity together, to fellowship together. So in order for that to happen, here's what you need to do. Th th these are reasonable things for you to do in order to preserve the unity of the church. Avoid those things that, are gonna, that would, if you did them, would, would cause there to be a separation of relationship between you and the other believers. Is that legalism? No. It's it's what's necessary to care, care for one another. Imagine a, imagine a church situation where there was some sort of pandemic sweeping the country. <laughs> Just close your eyes and picture it with me if you could. Yeah. And there were some, some small things we could do <laughs> to, to foster unity and, and, and preserve the unity of the church. And so, you know, we're going we're gonna to do these things in order to, to, to protect unity. It's, it's worth it. Here's a little bit of spoiler alert. Next chapter, Paul's going to tell Timothy to get circumcised in order to preserve the unity of the church. So, you know, up into and including that, we're willing to do in order to preserve the unity of the church for the gospel. The, the point is this. Look, there's no, there's no desire for an unnecessary burden, but look, we, we want to we be able to fellowship together, and we're going to do the things under the law of love not under the, the legalistic law, but under a law of love, a desire to, to love the Lord Jesus Christ, we're just going to do some things. Not motivated by a sense of oppression, but a, a joy. And then the last thing that he asks them to do here is, is, is just in order to, to pursue holiness. Being under the law of love means I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a never-ending obligation. And honestly, I, I do think, in all seriousness, I, I think why our church has navigated some of this, this tumultuous time as, as well as we have, not perfectly, but as well as we have, is because we are all compelled under the law of Christ. We're willing to walk in obedience to that. And then he encourages them again to, to avoid immorality, to live differently than the culture around them to pursue holiness. Here's the, 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 the next thing I want us to see. So that's how we remove the weight of legalism and point people to Christ. And then the next thing, we rejoice, right? We rejoice in the light of the gospel. 
they were sent off. They go with this letter. They go to Antio- these four brothers. They go to Antioch, and they, they gather the congregation together, and he, here's the letter. Verse 31, they read the letter, and how did they respond? They responded with joy. They recognize what, what they're calling them to do. It's, it's encouraging. And then Judas and Silas, who are prophets, they encourage. They strengthen the brothers with many words. And then they spend some time there. They're sent off in peace. So there's this, there's this rejoicing in the light of the gospel. The gospel has been affirmed. And they've said that you're no longer under these, these requirements. You don't have to do these things in order to, to, to find a relationship with God, to be a part of the new covenant. There's joy in this, in this, in this obedience that they, they call them to. We've seen the fruit of legalism and legalistic thinking. Now we see the fruit of the gospel. The fruit of the gospel is joy in Christ, obedience being fueled by a a firm love for the Lord Jesus Christ and a conviction that this is where life is found. And so you better believe that the church here in Antioch does the things that the church in Jerusalem have commanded them to do, but no longer are they troubled in soul. There is joy as they walk in obedience. And that's how we respond to the Lord as well. One of, the, one of the disappointments for me in, in seminary was uh, how, how poorly I, I did in my, my Hebrew classes. I, my biblical Hebrew never really came together the way that I desired it, it to come together. And it's been a ministry-long struggle of, of starts and stops to kind of reinvigorate my Hebrew and try to not lose what I had and, and gain more. And I've, I've had some success and some failure. A couple of years ago, I bought a textbook, and I was making my way through it, and I was, was enjoying some of it. And then I came to this section, and the, the textbook said, look, you need, to, you need to memorize like these one million rules or something like that. And I looked at that, and I thought, nah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I have Logos, um, computer pro- program. It'll tell me what, no. No, I still, I still felt convicted. I was like, but it was a burden. It was a weight. It was, it was just this constant feeling of guilt. You're preaching the Pentateuch, and you have struggle reading the original text. You know, I just don't know about this. It was, it was burdensome. I talked this summer to a, a professor at, at Southern Seminary. I said, what do you recommend? And he recommended a book to me, and I, I started reading this new, this new book on the biblical Hebrew, and and there was instant joy as I was reading this book. I know I'm a nerd, but there's this instant joy as, as I was reading through this book. And, and the, the, the great thing that the writer did is they, they constantly, they said, okay, here's a principle. Now here's the word of God, and here's how this principle helps you understand the word of God better. And, and they came to those same rules that I had resisted a, a couple years ago, memorizing. And, and, and they said, here are these rules, and, and here is... God revealed in his word as you understand these rules. And I, I started memorizing them like there was, I was enjoying it. And it was the same, the same task, but there was a whole different heart motivation behind it. And, and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. There, there's been some, some teacher who, who communicates the joy of, of learning the material. And there's, there's this, it's not a burden, it's a delight. The task is the same, but there's joy in one approach. Beloved, I'm calling you this morning to submit to the law of Christ. But it's not, I'm I'm not encouraging you to legalism. I'm not encouraging you to lawlessness. 
I'm not encouraging you to solve your problem with lawlessness by encountering legalism. I'm not encouraging you to counter, uh, counter legalism with lawlessness. I'm encouraging you to walk under the law of Christ for joy. I'm doing so because I believe that it's only in the goodness of, of coming to the one who's calling you to, to live in obedience to him that you're going to find joy. I believe that in him there is joy everlasting. And as you come to him and experience his goodness, you will rejoice in a way that you cannot any other way. Psalm 40, verse 6, Hebrews tells us this is about uh, the, the Christ. In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted. But you've given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Beloved, come to the Lord Jesus and find him altogether lovely and delightful because the weight of legalism will not be lifted by embracing lawlessness, but only by embracing Jesus Christ in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. My heart is burdened this morning for those who are weighed down by sin, who do not believe that you are good enough to truly love them and forgive them. Father, help them come to Jesus first and foremost this morning to, to find him altogether lovely, to believe the things that we have sung this morning about you, believe those things to be true, that you save, that you are delivering your people to rejoice and worship in you. And then, Father, by your grace, as we encounter your son, Jesus, help us to submit to the law of Christ, not because we believe that you are a God who doesn't love us, but because we believe that you you are a God who loves us far above anything we can imagine, that only in walking in obedience to you there is life and love and joy. We delight to do your will, O oh God, our Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.